Tonight, I want to help us think about that first Christmas. And we're going to look at two fascinating groups in the Christmas story, the shepherds and the wise men. Uh, it's funny to me, in, in the stories of, of Christmas, the, that first Christmas told by Luke and, and Matthew, um, they devote just one verse to the birth of Jesus. I know you moms are thinking that's way too little. But they devote a whole bunch of verses to tell about those first responders, the first people who came to celebrate Christmas. So in, in Luke, the first people to celebrate Christmas were the shepherds. In Matthew's gospel, it was the wise men. 2,000 years later, it's you. You're here to celebrate Christmas. And so we're going to ask briefly, we're going to look at these two groups and what that says about God, and we'll also ask, what does this mean for us today? Uh, let's start with the shepherds. Keep in mind, in Luke's gospel, uh, it, the highlights, he highlights this idea that God cares for the marginalized. God cares for the people who are on the, the margins, the sidelines. Uh, he highlights that, and, and uh, God has a special place in his heart for those who are the poor or the lowly or the picked upon or the, the kids who are made fun of. So it's not a surprise when Luke tells the Christmas story that right after the Christ child is born, of course, he's born in the poorest of settings, he's born in a barn in a stable with the animals, that we find the angel out invite, inviting people to, to celebrate the first Christmas. And who do they invite? The only people they invite are the shepherds, the night shift shepherds. And in that society in the first century, shepherds were on the, the bottom rung. They were not looked upon highly. And the night shift shop shepherds were at the bottom of the bottom. <laughs> and so uh, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then they're given instructions as to where to go to find the Christ child. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Wow. For that group of people to be invited would have been a really big deal. I think probably most of you have been invited to some big deal in your life, maybe to some black tie event or a... Uh, gala fundraiser or something, and you get all dressed up, and you're looking good, and you go, and you feel kind of important in that moment or something, right? Well, these shepherds, they never would have been invited to anything, but God invited them to be the first ones to come to this really big deal, the, the, the biggest deal in all of human history to that point, and God invited the night shift shepherds. How cool is that? Um, I don't know if you saw this, a uh, couple of years ago, the Pope, uh, Pope Francis uh, celebrated his 80th birthday. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know about you, but, and I'm not Catholic, so um, he's not my Pope, but I really respect this guy. And in some ways, I, I want to be like him. Um, but you know how he celebrated his 80th birthday? He had breakfast, and he invited eight homeless people to come and celebrate his, his birthday with him, <laughs> on his birthday. That's a picture of it right there, folks. This man who leads a, a billion and a, and a half Christians invited eight homeless people to celebrate this, this milestone birthday of his. And I'd say he knew what he was doing because he represents Christ. He represents Jesus, this baby who was born in a stable, who invited the night shift shepherds 
to come and celebrate his birthday. This gets me thinking, how can I, how can we be kind of on the lookout in our lives for the people who are marginalized or who are made to feel small or who are picked on or who are abused or who are, or the lowly or the poor? What can I do to, to lift them up? <laughs> I, I think that's what you're supposed to see in this part of the story. And if you miss this, you miss the whole deal in, in Luke's gospel, that God invited these people And it means that if we want to follow the baby in the manger, we'll seek to open our eyes to see the people in our lives around us, in our city and in the world, who are on the sidelines, who are made to feel small, who are picked on. And we'll do what we can do to stand with them and to honor them and to to bless them and to, to pick them up. So if you're in high school... Or if you're in middle school, or, or maybe you're in elementary school, this will mean that you serve and love the kids who go to your school who are not popular. If, if you're in your workplace and you see somebody kind of being picked on, it might mean you standing up for them. But I, I think you get the idea. I, I think that that's the first point. If you look at the shepherds, that's what Luke would want you to see. Now, if you turn to Matthew, he's got a whole other theme. For the most part, he doesn't emphasize in his gospel the marginalized, not entirely, but for Matthew, he wants people to know that Jesus came for everybody. He didn't just come for the poor, he came for the rich. He didn't just come for the uneducated, he came for the educated. He didn't just come for the Jews, he came for, for everybody. In fact, at the end of his book, he uh, has Jesus, Jesus saying his last words to his disciples, where Jesus says, go into the, the whole world and tell everybody, make everyone my disciples. And then if you go back to the beginning of his gospel, we have just this one verse about Jesus' birth, but then we're told there were these people, these magi, who were living in the east, Persians most likely, people from modern-day Iran, and these folks, these, these magi, and, and, and some of you would know this, but magi is where we get the word magician from. And so these guys were, were likely practicers of some form of magic. Um, they were... They were not Jews. It's just the strangest story. Matthew begins his gospel by telling us that that God spoke to people like a thousand miles from Bethlehem to come and see the baby born there. And he he tells us they're magi, which means they would have been astrologers. They they look to the stars for advice. As I said, they're not Jews. They, They probably practiced Zoroastrianism, which was a religion around that area at that time. And it's very different than Judaism. So this is what's kind of perplexing, that that the first people, according to Matthew, that God invites to the birthday party to celebrate the birth of Christ are not only not Christians, there were no Christians, by the way, at that time, they were not even Jews. It was was kind of cool. A couple of Sundays ago, I was speaking to a new Canadian that was visiting our, our service, had been visiting our services on Sunday mornings, and he told me in our conversation that he was a Muslim. And, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't believe everything you believe, but I really like coming to your services. And I kind of, I find myself in tears sometimes when we sing some of the songs. I feel myself moved by, by some of the things that are said from the front. And I, I, it's cool. And, and I, I'm kind of guessing that there are those of you in, in this room tonight, and, and maybe you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or, or an agnostic or an atheist. And I, I don't know what you are, but I just want to say I'm really glad you're here. 
I'm glad you came. But, th- but this story that tells us that God cared enough about all those other folks that he wanted to, to honor and, and bless them. So he sends them a sign, a, a star in the sky. And these magi, I have a hunch they were seekers. They were not just star lookers. They were looking for more. And God saw that in them. And God honors them for their seeking. And he sends them the, this, this wonderful invitation to the birth of his son. Crazy thing when you think about it is they actually went, right? It would have been like 1,500 kilometers, and it wasn't like you hopped on a train or a plane. It was like you, you, you did it by foot or by camel, something like that. And they take this long journey, probably 60 days plus, just one way, and they did all of this on probably what was not much more than a hunch, but they somehow thought God invited us to this, this birth. We got to go. I was thinking about this, and, and I want to ask you, does, do any of you watch the show This Is Us? Anybody? Okay, if you don't, make sure you have Kleenex on hand if you start. I mean, it's just one of those shows that you're going to be moved to tears at some point. And it's another just quick tip is, if you're going to watch it on Netflix and you're going to like kind of binge, it's not a show to binge. Like you can handle about, emotionally you can handle about one episode and then you need a break for like a week. And then you, then you watch it. It's one of those kind of shows. But um, there's an episode in the third season where Kevin, uh, one of the three children, the, the son, realizes that he doesn't know much about his dad when he was a soldier in Vietnam. And his dad had, had, had been a soldier. He finds this out and he comes across a photograph of his dad with this Vietnamese woman and the Vietnamese woman is wearing the necklace that Kev, Kevin wears, that Kevin was given to by his father. And he sees this in the picture. And suddenly he wants to go to Vietnam. And uh, he, he's kind of determined to go. He goes and he talks to his brother Randall. Randall, the guy who cries always. <laughs> but Randall's like, you can't go to Vietnam. That's crazy. That's insane. You, you don't know what this might open up for you. And Kevin... <laughs> gave the greatest explanation that changed his brother's mind. He says, do you remember when we were kids and we were in the, the living room and uh, I don't know if you remember this, the, there was one place where the, the wallpaper was peeling just a little and uh, you and I began to peel and then we couldn't stop. We had to keep on peeling. Do you remember how mad mom and dad got when we did that, right? Can you imagine? He says, that's what it feels like in this journey for me to find out about dad. I got to go. And I think when I, when I think of this story, and <laughs> the, the Magi weren't so different than Kevin. They had to keep on peeling the wallpaper. They had a hunch, and uh, they decided to, to go on it. They, they, they expended some effort. And, and I, I'd say this story about the wise men reminds us that God rewards seekers, you know? <laughs> it also reminds us that I think that the good news of Jesus' birth is for everybody, for everyone, that God's invitation is to the most unlikely of people, shepherds and wise men. But it seems to me that's what was happening with the wise men. It takes me to, think, to be thinking about, again, this year, what does Christmas really mean? Every year we try to answer this question on Christmas Eve. As I was uh, thinking about it, I was thinking about my sons when they were really small, like two and three and four years old. I mean, you saw my son just read the Christmas story, that the Christmas cat, that's my son now. They're man-sized, right? Uh, but they were, when they were young, when they were small, we were reminiscing about this, they loved to play, and I think it's every kid's favorite game, hide-and-seek, right? 
Only I think when we played it with my boys, it was like, come find me. I think that was what it was more likely, <laughs> how, how it went. And uh, of course, as small kids, they were terrible at hiding. And they would go and, and I'd, I'd walk into the room and I'd know exactly where they were. And so I'd have to pretend I didn't know where they were. And I'd go over to the curtain and say, Caleb, are you here? And, and he'd giggle, which was like a GP, you know, I mean. When you, when, when finally, when I just decided to stop looking, I'd come over and I'd find them. There'd be shrieks of joy. They were so glad to be found. <laughs> they weren't old enough to know that the point of the game is to hide so that you're not found. <laughs> they thought the point of the game was to be found. And then I'd hide. And they'd come looking. And, and there'd be the same kind of joy when they found me. Here's a, here's a picture of us. Don't be too shocked. I had hair back then. <laughs> but me and my boys... And here's the thing, my boys loved to be with me. I have a hunch they still love to be with me, mostly. <laughs> they love being found. And it strikes me this year that that is what Jesus, what God was up to in the Christmas story. <laughs> Maybe what God was really up to is to try and help us find him. I, I think the point of the Christmas story is that God wanted to be found and he wants us to find him. And so how did he come? He, he came like a baby, like one of us. The God who is invisible, immortal, God only wise, as the, the hymn says, made himself visible in a form we could understand. And how did he come? He came as a baby. I mean, who doesn't love a baby? And the, and the wise men, and, and they came and bowed down to him, and, and, and the shepherds came and bowed down to him. They rejoiced before the baby. And then he grows up to be a man, and, and he said as an adult, my mission is to seek and save those who are lost. By the way, I really love, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit. And you know, one of the ways that I think we're supposed to read that origin story is we're supposed to recognize ourselves in the story. It's my story. <laughs> It's your story. We know how to do the right thing, but sometimes we, we do the wrong thing. And when we, we do the wrong thing, it, it messes things up and it hurts people and things get broken. Um, and that's what, what's happening when they're, they're there eating the forbidden fruit. Things are getting broken. But I love what happened next, right after that scene uh, where they've broken God's law. Scripture says they go into hiding from God. It says they're hiding among the trees as if they can hide from God. And God comes down, and it says in Genesis 3 that he says to them, where are you? God was looking for them. And really, for the entire history of the human race, we've been hiding. And God is looking for us. And folks, I know sometimes it seems like God is hiding from us. Theologians have a name for God Called, they call him deus abscontitis, a term which means the hidden God. Sometimes he's hidden, and what he hopes for is that you will search for him. You seek, seek him, and Scripture says that those who search and seek for him will eventually find him. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how much Christmas means to me, to, to us, that God came near to us, and how that changes everything about how I think about the world and my life and, 
and all these things. And in the middle of this, I was reminded of a song. And I began singing the song. You got a song stuck in your head? This happened to me just, just recently, over and over again. And I hadn't thought about this song in a while, but I love this song. And as I began thinking about this song and, and then the message of Christmas, I, I realized this song wasn't about what I thought it was about. I thought it was about a friend who'd be there no matter what, who'd be with you during the darkest of times. But actually, I think this song is about God. I think it's actually kind of a hymn. It made me curious about what the songwriter thought about when he wrote this song long ago. And so I went online to see what Paul Simon said about this song he wrote way back in 1969. This is what he said. He'd been listening to gospel music, and he found himself writing what he called a little hymn. My hunch was right. It's a hymn. He describes how this song came to him. He says, I have no idea where it came from. It came all of a sudden. It was one of the most shocking moments of my entire songwriting career. And the song kind of captures the dark moments that, that happen in our lives, and God seeking to find us and seeking to, to be found by us. And in case you haven't figured out what the song is, I, I want you to take a listen to it right now. Let's just take a listen to a few lines of this song. picture Jesus singing that song to us, you know? I picture him coming to sing that song, coming to be found by you, coming to find you. Listen to some of the lyrics. Uh, he says, when you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side when times get rough. When friends just can't be found like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part when darkness comes and pain is all around. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. I think that's what Christmas is all about. I, I, I think God came to us in a form that we could understand to be able to say, in your darkest moments, I'll be there. When, when you feel friendless, I'll be there. You know, when you feel hopeless, I'm there. When you feel all alone, I'm there. And, and he, he didn't promise that you wouldn't feel those things. Listen, we're going to go through stuff. Some of us are going to experience divorce. Some, some will experience disease or, or illness. We're all going to experience death in our lives. We'll go through losses. Uh, it might be a job. It might be financial. It, there'll be moments of depression. But in all those places, God does not promise that it's not going to happen to you. Bad stuff happens. Those things happen. It's part of being human. But he says, I am Emmanuel, God 
with you. I'll redeem whatever suffering you walk through. I'm going to give you hope, and I'm going to tell you that the worst thing is not the last thing. Some of you here, you're, you're kind of walking through this right now. This, this is your first Christmas after the divorce or your first Christmas after the diagnosis or you're without a job or you're feeling lonely or in despair and Christmas is about Jesus saying, I'm with you. I, I found you. Come find me. And it's God who, who like I used to say, <laughs> used to with my boys, come find me. That's what Christmas is all about. I, I want to just briefly give you an invitation tonight. It's, it's very simple. You know, to be found is, is really just to say, come find me, God. Jesus, I want to follow you. And, I, and I'd like to invite you, if that reflects in any way where you're at tonight, how you're, how you're feeling, to be able to say that kind of prayer to him right now. So I'm just going to invite you to just for a moment, close your eyes and, and bow your heads. And as we think about Jesus, we think of this babe in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, the Savior, Messiah, Lord, our Deliverer, our Rescuer. He claims to be our King. He's also our our bridge over troubled waters who lays himself down for us. So you might just say this, this prayer to him. You can pray this kind of just quietly under your breath. Jesus, at, time I, at times I feel lost. At times I feel afraid. Come find me. Hold me close. Dry my tears. Save me. Be my bridge over troubled waters. I am yours. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you for these people who are sitting here tonight. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit on each of us. Help us to be kind of humble like the shepherds and and loving like you, God, who reached out to the shepherds to look for the lowly, the, the picked on, those on the margins, and to look for ways to pick them up. Help us to humble ourselves before you. And then, God, we, we say, help us, like the wise men who recognized who you were, help us to become seekers and searchers where we'll take steps on a journey towards you, looking for you. And then finally, God, this Christmas Eve, may we hide ourselves in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chair, you want to come up and and do the Advent reading, and we'll light the Advent candle.